0: Excited to have Chip Mald on the program, founder and CEO of Made in Cookware. Uh Chip I ran into a couple years ago and uh have always been impressed with what you're doing. Made in Cookware. For those not aware, check out the site if you're an aspiring chef or maybe <laughs> you get a little bit more context to your common customer, but premium cookware. Uh, really high quality stuff. And as you can see in their overall experience that permeates through everything you do. So thanks for coming on, Chip. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is, one, it seems like your overall (laughs) SEO strategy is doing quite well. You've got a nice content approach as well. Um, And it's interesting to see how it's evolved from the first time we talked and where you are now. It's clearly, it seems like it's progressing in the correct uh, way. And it seems like as someone who cares about quality and the fine details we were talking before, The you're like, this and this is off. I want to fix that, but still very good above market, I would say. So like starting there about where you are as a premium cookware, and you can refine that uh, as well, but like, how did you settle on what your content strategy is? And uh, yeah. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, it's actually interesting because our content strategy goes
1: back before launch. Um, and the reason why we love this category in general. I came from the apparel space, um, athletic apparel specifically, a company called Roan. And you know the the strategy there was much more around the fashion of the product, right? It's You see it on Instagram, a blue shirt that catches your eye. You don't need to research that much about it. You're not Googling it. Um, it's just, do I think I'll look good in this shirt? Purchase or not purchase, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And um, the thing that we loved about cookware was it was such a low education category. People didn't understand what makes a pan good or what makes a pan bad. They don't understand what size pan do I need for X, or Y, or Z. They're scared of toxins or no toxins. There's all this other stuff that requires some sort of research phase ahead of the purchase product, uh, purchase pattern, right? Okay. And so, you know, we, we always say like low um, edu- uh, categories with low education. Are huge opportunities because you can be the one to provide that education and then, therefore, build loyalty and long term customer support. So, when we had the idea and I started the company with my co founder, Jay Kalick, whose family comes from three generations of kitchen supply background. His family started um, a kitchen supply store in 1929, so almost 100 years of kind of expertise and authenticity and stuff you probably talk a lot about, yeah. um, in the SEO world, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like value that's,
0: that's pretty, a lot of expertise experience Exa- of the, totally, yeah. yeah,
1: And like value added content that just comes from his, his domain. Right. And, um, you know, we, we knew, uh, so we started kind of concepting the idea probably around April or May of, um, of 2016 and launched in September of 2017. So almost a year ahead of, brand building, finding manufacturers, developing the product, like all this other stuff, we had the domain and we started building content right away. Um, wow. Knowing that SEO is long tail, it takes a while, um, it takes a while to get domain authority, et cetera. And so each week we would publish some sort of content piece that way, by the time we launched, we had a series of, um, we had some domain authority, but we started to build um, kind of that, that wave ahead of waiting to launch and then having that tail come Way after so this is this has been a portion of our strategy from you know like t-minus 12 months <laughs> kind of thing it's not just a launch afterwards which i think is unique um yeah. for a lot of brands um and then too like that's been a theory and conviction of ours since launch so doubling down as our team size grew our third or fourth um hire was in the content first realm um video photographer to really support blog and content initiatives which i think for most companies is probably no. early to have yeah. a content producer that early um we had a freelance network of four or five people always writing from us since launch, um, and then that's transitioned to both kind of a hybrid approach over over the years. But now we have a content team and an in house studio um, for video mainly, but um, you know, that's probably a fifteen person team as well. Um, so really, it's been like Ooh, 15 a fifteen
0: person content team now. Yeah,
1: um, wow, and, and that's everything from the people uh, who actually develop the recipes, do recipe testing, you know, the actual um, kind of the the talent quote unquote. Right. Yeah. Um, as well as the people who film edit and and write and things like that. How
0: so. do you uh, I mean recipes seem like a and maybe this is just part of uh there's just certain things that you need to have a sense for, but is there I would guess the recipes would be the furthest from transactions almost like a brand building. How do you like quantify the value of the worth of doing those a- assets?
1: Yeah. Um, there's a kind of a theory and more of the tech land or SAS land of like time to first usage. And we, with a satisfaction of the product. Um, And we've kind of ripped that in our world as well, where, you know, our our return rates and our, our product quality is so good. We get about 2% returns, which is phenomenally low for a DTC or direct, Mm -hmm. um, direct brand. And part of that we kind of attribute to the fact that they get the pan and for every single one of our products, we have custom developed recipes right off the back that start you off on the right foot and get you excited about the product. Um, so I think there's two aspects of it. One is like, you know, before the acquisition funnel, recipes probably aren't that great. We've seen them for tra- uh, traffic, we've seen them right, for whatever, yeah. but they're, they're low conversion. Um, but then just for the LTV, for the customer satisfaction, for providing use for our product and just value add to the customer, um, that's that's where we see it's it It's more shine. of a
0: retention play. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm interested in there. So when you ship the product, is there like a link? Go like go to the website, check out this recipe that supports it, or do you have like a recipe card with the product? Exactly.
1: I think a cool end-to-end product experience that we offer. Um, Nancy Silverton, who is an LA-based chef, um, one of the most famous chefs in LA, she's known as like the bread queen, um, you know, been around for three or four decades, just like has this LA fan base, right? Mm-hmm. We were out there, filming um, a TV commercial with her. She's a really good friend of the brand. Um, She's bought from a lot of her restaurants um, out in LA. She developed a product from scratch for us. She's like, this does not exist on the market kind of like from the industrial design to product testing to everything all went through her hands. And then she developed a custom recipe for that custom product. And in that box came that full experience, right? So like from end of product design (laughs) to end of actual customers cooking on that product, it was a real Nancy Silverton experience.
0: Do you include that in, I don't know if it's compelling at all in the description for the product or just kind of like uh, probably no pun intended, like salt on top? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, It's totally, I mean, the whole like email marketing, the blog content, I mean, That's where the whole kind of um package content package came with that. It was interview with her um, about her background behind the design, then recipe. So everything um, on a content based approach.
0: So it's so interesting that you you uh, found you sort of knew from day one that part of the gap was that that research and education did not exist. Was that like your background, or you are you the business guy and? He's the product guy, co-founder. Co-founder runs all the product. I run
1: all the performance marketing um, and marketing to start. We have someone who runs uh, brand strategy and kind of global marketing campaigns now. But, um, you know, back then it was just two of us. And I was handling (laughs) performance marketing, data analytics, uh, all the e-com and web um, behavior, both on CRO and SEO. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, And really anything like on that front.
0: Makes sense. So one of the questions I was going to ask you, very interesting strategy. It sounds like you knew SEO was going to be a thing from the start. So you invested Correct. it literally pre-launch. Yeah. One of the interesting conversations I often, I don't even know if we had this conversation originally, is like the time to lo- value is elongated for a newer business yep. because of that long cycle. Like what did you, when did you start feeling traction from search post-launch with that unique model of like literally have content live on the site when we go live?
1: Pretty early. I mean, um, you know, I think part of being a digitally native company in a incumbent space with a lot of people who are catching up to moving to e-commerce, there wasn't much competition in a lot of the keywords. Um, and you know, a lot of these research based things are longer tail. So it's easier to rank to start um, this versus that. What size fry pan do I need? You know, like things that you know you're not going for frying pan right off the bat, as as you know. Um, So we started to rank for some of those tail keywords pretty quickly, Um, pretty decent volume for the keyword keyword difficulty um, to start, and it kind of snowballed. But we were ranking for kind of core keywords, um, saucepan, for instance. We were ranking, you know, top three in eighteen months, twelve months. Um, Okay, way bigger than, way quicker than I would have thought.
0: How about the content tail? Was that, what was that? Six months. Yeah, I mean, six months. Six yeah. months from
1: launch. Pro, I mean, some of them were in the top three to five at launch, um, which was awesome.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Did you do like a press push? I'm guessing your original funding round, things like that. Yeah,
1: yeah we did. It wasn't a huge press press push at launch. Um, it wasn't a real backlink strategy um, that, that drove that. It was definitely just, just like on-page content of, and yep, and yeah. lack of competition.
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And I, I am seeing that more and more. It, it's an interesting use case, and maybe it's just case by case. Like an affiliate site comes to us, yep. and they're like, we want to rank in 12 months. It's like probably going to take you 12 months, but if you actually yep. have a good product behind it and a story. I do see increasing, increasingly, like when there's real brand activity around it, like it seems like it can happen in, in six months sometimes. Yes. Which, but you got to feel confident in that first part totally, <laughs> uh, for that to be the case. So I mean, you iterated on your that first version of of the site over time, and now I think we'll, we'll show, we'll link to it in the show notes, really suggests. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening to it, uh, this you're, you you'd check out the site, uh, buy some product, <laughs> uh, but and check out that new design. But I think your content experience, specifically, um, we're a content firm, is really good on the content section. It's premium. It kind of reflects your brand. You've really made a novel, um, iterative step. Uh, it wasn't just that it sounds like, and I'll let you talk through it, but you redesigned your site as well. But for some, an interesting conversation we tend to have is, uh, just obviously that step of really improving your content section. It's not always straightforward. So I think people would be interested, like, what is the rough cost of that? What was the project look like? Um, and some of the the change and improvement you saw, um, from the first version to the today.
1: Totally. Um, So we used to use out-of-the-box templates for our blog. Um, We were on Shopify to start uh, kind of early days, and we're using some of their template, um, uh, blog-based templates. And I think anyone who's used Shopify knows their out-of-the-box blog is an afterthought for them. Content is an afterthought. It's a shopping website. They've made some improvements on kind of the global um, template-based experiences they offer, but still probably less flexibility than you'd want if you were really driving a, um, a content first strategy. And so for years one through three or zero through three, we were hindered by, you know, a 12 column system on our website that didn't allow for a right rail that didn't allow a brand hit, you know, like all these things that we really wanted mm-hmm. for someone who was entering through the door of slash blog. And, uh, and we felt like we were just missing out on email capture, telling people about the brand, um, you know, influencers or bloggers do this really well, right on a right rail, you come through a recipe like you asked about. And there's a little about me section that just follows you down the right side of the page. So at least you get some sort of association or brand hit if Mm. they don't continue um, exploring through their Mm. website. Um, Those are all the things we really wanted and kind of depending on the blog type. So if it's a recipe, we want you to sign up for an email to get more recipes from us and stay part of our community. If it's a behind the design blog post, we want to filter you through to the actual product that you're reading about at that time, a more shoppable experience. And right. we just lacked all that flexibility. Um, no no ability to put product cards embedded on the blog page, similar to how affiliates do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we moved to a headless system um, probably July of last year, July of 2022. And that provided us a lot of front end flexibility for the blog specifically. Um, the front end structure project took about three months. Um, you know, ripping out Shopify and replacing it with a full front end. So
0: is that just the whole thing with Shopify, your whole site Shopify, or just your content experience now?
1: Our whole uh, website is now headless, oh, okay. except for the back end. So once you mm-hmm. click through to checkout, they still run the checkout experience, but everything from our product pages to our homepage to our blog to our whatever on the kind of main domain is all headless run by us. Um, okay, And that's the trend right now. Obviously, page speed helps there. Mm-hmm. Shopify is pretty slow. Um, a lot of the SEO is a portion of that decision-making yeah. process, um, which you guys probably see a lot. Um, but then flexibility and the ability to control our own destiny and not have to work around Shopify's limitations was was the other main reason. And um, we built flexibility for the blog into that project. So just the blog got inherently better and more, um, more usable for us mm-hmm. just because we're moving to a more flexible system.
0: The One of the things I want to explore further on is that right rail idea. That's interesting. It sounds like, were you one column before? Uh, yeah. And did you, I mean, it makes complete sense. One of the things we often recommend is like top nav falls you. It's kind of like you have a call to action. Every business is a little different that maybe it makes the most sense for SaaS versus e-commerce yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it makes complete sense what you're saying there. Yeah, it's interesting to hear like if, if there's, was that kind of a qualitative feeling? Did you think about testing that at all versus like a middle column thing? Yeah, we actually used Unbounce to test
1: oh, really? blog pages because we were um, we love a content based funnel approach. We think it's a really nice way to introduce yourself to a brand—not buy, 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 but like let me help you first right. in your in your process before considering us to purchase from us, right? And so um, again, heavily researched area, um, you know, heavily. Uh, kind of confusing area. Three ply, five ply, seven ply. What the hell is the difference between what is? I, ply? I don't know what that is. exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, if we're the ones to yeah, you know, we have a question, yeah. answer that question. Then, um, you know, hopefully, you view us as a value to you as a mm-hmm. customer. Um, we're able to spin that up a lot quicker and unbounce first. We built fake landing page or fake blog pages, um, around specific high keyword, uh, high volume keywords, and drove to that landing page and tested things like right rail versus one column versus a content funnel type thing before making the request to the dev team. Because, um, you know, I think every company, especially our size in the world has a dev list that's 14 years long and (laughs) and the ability to work on a sprint by sprint basis. And Mm so we didn't want to make that ask to the dev team until we felt confident it was going to improve Mm -hmm. the metrics we cared about. Um, To your point on kind of the top nav following you versus kind of other best practices in our space, most blog bloggers and recipe developers use a right rail methodology. And so we felt that was going to be, um, familiar. It was going to be, um, you know, Makes something sense. that people are used to, et cetera. So there was some kind of like art and science to it as well.
0: I mean, it's, it's relatively unique to get the resources and it's clear that how and awesome, how integrated content is into everything you do, um, to get, to hear about even content, A-B testing. Are there any other interesting A-B tests you did there? Yeah, we've done a ton. Um, Removing nav
1: versus keeping nav. So having like the actual global navigation appear on the blog versus a special nav um, on that's different than the global nav. Uh-huh.
0: Um, I'm really interested in that one.
1: <laughs> the global nav uh, tended to work worse. Um, really? For purchase behavior. Um, but some nav, some element of a nav perform better than no nav and only CTAs on the site, if that makes sense. So um, instead of just having like, here's our blog, you know, um, logo at the top and then having the next, the direction of where to go next throughout the page, right. having some sort of nav, nav and footer perform better, but not necessarily the one that's the exact same as the um, the global navigation. Mm.
0: I'm guessing those were engagement metrics mostly tested on that, or what was your... Oh, just Purs- sales. Just yeah, exactly. That okay. so
1: was a conversion-based test. Interesting. Um,
0: so, okay. yeah, I mean, I think before everyone runs out and implements that, <laughs> you do have a lot of great calls to action throughout your conference Correct. section. People should check that out, that you it very well in a well-done fashion with yeah. your products. That was
1: in addition to not in replace of those. CTAs. Yeah, Correct.
0: that Correct. makes sense. So one of our recommendations is often like to inherit the global navigation partially for shopping experience that it makes it easier in yep. theoretically to go shop and then secondarily there is a long tail effect of like if you get links to these content pieces that should help those pages rank better yep. So I wonder, so what is your current nav experience?
1: It's global nav for that that reason, because that's SEO optimized for us. Um, This was more for content-based funnels driving just purchase behavior, but there's a ton of trade-offs in your final design, which is, you know, was that worth it? Do we want people exploring and knowing we make 10 different items? So when they think about wine glasses down the road, they remember, you know, the exploring they did before. Um, So it wasn't, it was a good example of, I think the, Team having a conviction that overruled a very small A-B test win that um, also helped SEO. and
0: Makes sense. Yeah. I like that think, thinking for sure. Uh, I think I probably interrupted you because I was so excited about it. there any other A-B tests? Because that's so um, interesting to me. We've done
1: t- a ton of stuff around CTAs in the hero versus not in the hero. None of those mattered really. Um, you know, I think it's basically above the fold thing that everyone talks about, right. right? It's like, is there a CTA? I mean, the nav was up there, but is there an actual um, Hard coded CTA, CTA okay. in the hero image um, didn't matter for us. Um, multiple CTAs versus the content funnels around blocks into a final singular CTA, multiple CTAs won um, in that aspect pretty heavily. Um, and those are the ones I remember most. Um, okay. But we were always testing stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I really like those kind of shopping widgets that you have specific to each product on? Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing you thought about that in the first design, but like how hard is that kind of thing to spin up and get going?
1: The I mean, Shopify made it difficult. Yeah. Um, embedding the ability to do shoppable widgets on the page uh, was a frustrating experience, especially if it was multiple products. You know, you've wanted to create a carousel. So think about recipe, right? Things to use in this recipe and be able to shop from the blog. Shopify made that a pain in the ass. um, And so they, they weren't like, they
0: weren't light lifts. Um, yeah, yeah. And You're, you don't sound like a fan of Shopify to me. Ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Present cons, Present cons. Yeah, yeah. It's clear like part of your success is the integration of everything. And I think that's probably, like so many brands kind of, they arrive at content in like year four or something. Yeah. And then they come talk about it, but it's obvious that, are there any other kind of unique novel ways you use the blog in connection to product that might not be For people that are just like publishing stuff on the blog and hoping it gets traffic, like how are you or any other kind of way? Yeah. um, So I think what's special
1: about our brand is just the in depth uh, and storytelling that goes into the actual product. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, our knives are made by fifth generation knife makers who are hand grinding these things in central France. Our bakeware is still hand glazed and hand painted. um, And a lot of the people who have been working at the factory are like, you know, 60 year olds who have been working there for 50 or 40 years, right? Right. And like, since they were 20 and also in France. Um, So these real deep, rich stories of the tradition of why that product is made there and how it's made, as well as stories behind the actual people there. Um, And so when we introduce a product, you know, the blog is also a portion of behind the design, telling those stories, uh, showcasing um, the videos that go along with that. So we go into these factories and embed videos around um, just like, you know, the idyllic, you know, slow,
0: you know, slow mo, <laughs> chef's table stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um,
1: and I think that's important, right? Like people want to have a connection to the products they buy. Want them, want them. They want to know it's going to last them a lifetime. They want to know it's quality, especially if they're finding out about it online. Which mm-hmm. you know, as people have different connotations with, um, things, di- things online, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And um, and so it's just important for us, just as a brand, um, as well to have that showcased in a fashion and you know then then that, that's probably worse for SEO it's like not many people are googling french made hand blown this yeah, or yeah. that but in the content front consciously they want it exactly yeah. or retargeting or uh-huh. um or email blasts or or anything or as we're introducing a product to our CRM like mm-hmm. we're driving people to hopefully use our blog as a resource for the research process and get that ingrained in their behavior.
0: Makes sense. It will eventually make the final purchase much easier. Exactly. Are you, do you have a natural kind of content distribution through email marketing as well? Yeah, we,
1: yeah. we, um, we send a lot of emails um, and SMSs. We kind of our internal mantras, it has to be helpful to send it. And so um, we, even in, even in conversion focused emails, um, product launch, et cetera, there's always, content in the bottom half of it. So oh, okay. if, the, if you're not interested in the product right there, it's, you know, we're releasing YouTube, 12 minute, 13 minute YouTube videos around recipes with chefs every week. Um, we built, as I mentioned, that studio and house where chefs are coming through on a, um, almost every other day basis to film these like, you know, awesome recipes, dishes that made their career. If you're in Austin, um, you know, the day Birdies, like a lot of the best Big, oh, nice. restaurants in the country have, um, videos. I've done videos to teach you how to make some of their highlight products um, or recipes. And so, you know, that will be in the footer as well. So, you know, hopefully you're finding value in what we're sending you and it's worth the open.
0: Hmm. Do you do a direct um, promotion of content only email? Yeah, yeah, Um, especially for engagement. What does that look like? Have you done any kind of testing or anything around how that has been working?
1: yeah mostly um kind of like content roundups um so at mm-hmm. the end of the month or um end of two weeks, kind of here's the best things that com- came out of our camp I right. you know consumers are busy um you know this content you 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 work on it, you know, you sweat blood and tears internal to make this video, <laughs> and you send an email and you know not no, yeah not people it, yeah. engage with it, and they would engage with it like they would really love to find out about that video um and so I think you have to hit people a couple more times. To get the full value out of uh, right. creation of content
0: Have you seen anything like uh, three links in there or you lead with a certain subject line or just anything like that? Um, and there's yeah. nothing there
1: to- yeah, we have test a lot on um, you know, where in the where should content go in placement of an email, for instance mm-hmm. um, content in general generally has the highest, um, engagement rate. So even if, no matter where the block is, that's kind of our first insight. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's hero or second or at the bottom, Mm -hmm. people are engaging with the content. Um, and we, we love that, right? Like we're spending a lot of money and time and effort. Um, it's a huge part of our brand to provide that resource for our customers. So it would be a shame if it was not that case. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and it's a great way to get people in the door about learning about new products or why things are useful or new techniques on how to make your food better and make you better as a home cook. Okay. Um, so you think, you know, in these videos and in these blog articles, these chefs are so willing to teach you how to adapt that to a home setting to up-level your game as a home cook, these tips and tricks and and kind of like yeah. party tricks. Um, and so it's really cool to see home customers clicking through on those and, and learning nice. from our chef customers.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, just yet another area of content is touching everything totally. you're doing, which is great. Yeah. You, ha- you have a great overall, I mean, you touched on it. I mean, that's video um, for sure. Photography also is probably a side product of that. Yep. Throughout your blog is great. I'm assuming most all of it is original photography. Yep. And has photography. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, how do you think about that? Or are, are they specifically, do you go out and use like types of, saucepans and you're, you're like tying to the article like how how does photography support the content section or like how are you allocating against that and thinking about that
1: I'd say two aspects Um, one of which is you know picture says a thousand words kind of thing like um, I'd assume most people are skimmers I am myself and so yeah. providing a uh, correct context without having to rely it's I mean Unsplash or something like that right like you're kind of putting it in there for maybe a SERP feature or or God knows what, right? But it's not really providing that context. You see it on news sites a lot where they'll embed a video onto their page, most likely to probably just get a SERP feature hit there or benefit there. But video has no no context to what's happening on the Mm -hmm. article. And it's a super confusing state. Not valuable. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Or it's, you know, you think it's going to, you're it's in line midway through the page and then it's something completely different and you're just confused at what's going on in that page and kind of loses, diminishes the brand or the news outlet right. in that eye, right? Um, that's probably where I see it the most. So we want to avoid that. Um, we want to make sure everything's contextually relevant to mm-hmm. um, both imagery and text and video to what's in the article. Um, and... And then it's just, it's so useful everywhere, right? It's good on paid ads. It's good on email headers. It's good, we give it to the chefs. It's a resource for our chef community as well. Cause you know, we have in-house photography and the head chef of X restaurant downtown needs new headshots for, you know, their LinkedIn or for their next speaking oh, engagement. Nice. So
0: we smart. We yeah. provide that for them. Yeah, it's like, exactly. or it could be like Instagram content totally. for them Yeah, your products featured in that. It's exactly. not a bad, totally. bad thing.
1: Um, so we like we try to use our internal resources as much to aid the community, um, the chef community, for anything that they don't have.
0: Random question: Curious how you're thinking. I mean, you're such high, it's clearly a high quality approach, not to what you do. Have you thought about AI's place in mm-hmm. all this stuff? How are you? How are you thinking about
1: it? Yeah, it was interesting. With the Google release what was it, two weeks ago or something yeah. like that. Um, actually, not condemning AI based writing as <laughs> much as I would have thought. Um, but you know, I think there's been more clarity in SEO-based content than there ever has been from Google's side, which over the last two years, right? And I don't know if you agree or disagree, <laughs> know more about it than I do, but it seems like with their focus on reviews, on expert um, opinions, on everything else, they're just going for, is this useful for the customer? Focus on bounce rate, people going back to the search page after clicking on your yeah. content. Like There's nothing else to optimize for other than creating high-quality content that is useful to the consumer, and whether or not you want to use new technology or not to get that is kind of up to you and your ability to do so. Yeah. But I think it it goes with like if you know you're an asshole during the process, you're going to get the result that you want, right? Like if you think you can
0: just <laughs> I think if you can that's just that's a good tagline for yeah, that,
1: right? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> but if you can use it in a way that makes the process quicker with humans checking it and whatever, then like yeah. you can probably innovate really nicely there. Hmm. Um, so. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it's got to be it's got to be something that when someone clicks on, they don't go back to the search page. And you know, who cares how it comes about? Um, we're not yeah. using it much in our content, um, our blog based content or SEO based content, right? Um, because we rely on experts in the industry, the chefs, um, people we feel like will really create deep, engaging content Makes that sense. Um, customers will love.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, generally with you, I. I'm currently of the mind, at least uh, the current state it's in, it's like maybe it has some value for like programmatic, really long tail type content, but for a premium brand like you, can't imagine it would be that helpful sh- sh- short to midterm. Totally,
1: um, where we're using it, where it is helpful is the stuff we don't believe humans should be doing. <laughs> SEM, AdWords, 15 different variations okay. of an SEM tagline for Headline a product, for right? Test, like yeah, the humans are creative by nature, And that's where they should be spending their time in our eyes. They should be thinking up new concepts. They should be developing strategies. They should be interacting and conversing with chefs and developing relationships and interviewing them and like stuff that AI can't do. Right. Um, And so we love the technology to take off the plate of copywriters, Facebook headlines that no one even reads anymore because most people are looking at reels and Instagram stories that don't even have headlines, right? Like (laughs) take that off the copywriter's plates, give them Mm -hmm. free time to go make relationships with the best chefs in town um, and interview them and make a bond and tell our customers something special about what's
0: cool about that chef. Makes sense. Like that and agree with that for sure. One of the things I I was thinking about as you're talking about just very high quality content generally and uh, apologies if this has already happened and I I didn't see it, but have you thought about any kind of like, hero assets, such as, I mean, I could see you guys somehow being integrated in a Netflix show or uh, maybe you have a book already and I don't, I'm not aware of it. So plug it right now. (laughs) I wish, I wish.
1: Um, We've explored the idea of a cookbook. Um, Same concept with SEO as a a cookbook, right? It's what's our angle? Why do we deserve to exist? Um, You know, we have so many amazing chefs as part of our community um, who will develop amazing re- recipes for our customers, but mm-hmm. what can we do with a book that, you know, they couldn't do themselves or, or whatever? Like what's our perspective and unique take on that? Okay. Um, I don't think we've landed on what that is yet, but it's of super big interest. Um, we've been approached by some of the major content players, the um, the streaming services that you're talking about for, how do we, same thing, like how do we leverage all the amazing chefs our, and yeah. our story within that? Um, we're trying. We're trying to build a business. That some of that stuff's distracting. Um, and yeah, so we're I It's <laughs> more about what to say no to and the
0: focus um, on just building the the business. Makes sense. So you mentioned you said fifteen content team members. Um, one of one of the things I'm always interested in is what like what team structure looks like and how you came to that kind of breakdown of like four writers. Maybe you have a manager here for content, and you'd mentioned a photographer that's full time. Could you go into a little more detail on that and how you came to the numbers? Yeah.
1: um, uh, Trial and (laughs) and tribulation. (laughs) Um, I would love to say we nailed it out of the bat. I think what was interesting about the org structure in general was um, bringing together a lot of content creators who are experts in their field, but have never worked for a brand before. Um, And so a recipe tester who's just like an amazing, amazing just recipe developer, you know, expert in the food industry been doing it for 25 years, like kind of that aspect. Um, then having her sit next to a writer who has written for, you know, Food & Wine magazine, but, you know, has never worked for a brand before next to a, you know, photographer who has amazing photography, but never worked specifically for a brand before and then getting them all on the same team okay. to play for common vision that Mm -hmm. the vision was evolving as well as we went. Um, So like, you know, we knew we wanted a content-based approach. We didn't nail it out of the gate. We learned a lot and kind of getting both a team feeling amongst that team, but also that changing on them every (laughs) three months. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So so we definitely didn't nail it out of the gate. Um, The team's working amazing and better than they ever have before. Um, Probably took about 12 months to get there, Um, not by their fault, but on our fault of, uh, that kind of constant iteration and changing the goalposts on them yeah, yeah. every five minutes. Um, but like, if you look at our stuff now coming out, the quality of it is unbelievable. It's all original content. Um, you know, it's plugging the product in a organic and authentic way, not a commercial and cheesy way. Yeah. How does it fit into the recipe to make the recipe better? So, you know, things like that, that just took three to four months of, of refinement Um probably, three times that um, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then like the split just on a monthly basis of content calendar, um, how much is meant for SEO specific, how much is meant for, we don't care what happens to SEO, this is great for the brand, mm-hmm. how much of this is around the product and support and CX and emails and kind of supporting the business and other aspects okay. and how much are those kind of content strategies changing and what's the steady state of those over time. And that evolves too, right? Cause like, you know, we feel like we're behind in SEO in this section. So month zero through three, SEO should take a larger portion of the content calendar. And then months six through nine, we can turn down SEO and turn up brand. And how does, Mm -hmm. or in Q4, when it's a commercial time period, we're turning down brand and turning up commercial, like just honing in on all those moving parts has been, has been tough and, and a learning experience.
0: Yeah. Nice. Uh, From that one, another thought that comes top of mind is just, how do you think, about KPIs or OKRs for these teams within a such a quality focused um, firm. I imagine there's a tough yeah interplay there.
1: I mean my background's in like computer science, data analytics. Mm-hmm. I wanna I'm that person who wants to put a a publishing goal or something. Yeah, a goal on <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, our our head of marketing, she comes from um, some really amazing brands, LV, LVMage, Nike, um, Burberry, some like really high quality brands and is super creative of a person. And she's kind of been my counterpart in you can't put a KPI in everything. You got to let the cre- creatives be creative. <laughs> yeah, you got um, to like doing it the way you do will both either make them quit or make them quit and hit you or not get the actual result you want from a quality perspective. So okay. you need to be comfortable with some ambiguity, ambiguity. around KPI-based stuff. I would say the loose model was built on a CPM-based approach. Um, and so, you know, basically it's the the cost per right. 10,000 views, yeah, yeah. 10,000 watches, 10,000, or 1,000, sorry. Um, uh, you know, whatever the metric is for that. Is it a video? Is it a blog? Is it a Instagram reel? Does it fall within some range that we feel comfortable with on a CPM basis. And after that, let them, let them be free, you know, let them be
0: creative. So you met, so you measure the cost of the asset against the sort of CPM roughly.
1: Totally. So if your Instagram reels get 40,000 views on average and it's costing you eight grand to make, you know, 200 bucks CPM or whatever it ends up being. And, you know, does that feel good to you?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And you're feeling good on the brand side of those. I imagine that's a tough kind of connection, or you have to be comfortable probably with somewhat high CPMs on that. Yeah. And
1: I think yeah. that's worth it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. If the content is good, like yeah. would we spend $200 CPM, which you know we can buy a Facebook ad for $25 CPM? So would we spend 10X the CPM to have that hit only if the content is worth it? And so if you're having poor content coming out and paying 10X, CPM, that's a real tough proposition for you to Makes to sense. justify. But I think if you go to our Instagram um, at Maiden, uh, the <laughs> you'll see. It. I mean, you'll yeah. see the the reels and stuff are coming out are like absolutely phenomenal quality. They're coming out you know three to five times a week. They're constant repetition. They're giving you recipes to save, download, share. Like there's a lot of great things that are coming out of that team.
0: Nice. Well, this has been great, Chip. Don't want to put you on the spot, but one of the thoughts I was thinking was like. Do you, you, first, how big of a cook are you now?
1: Uh, huge, huge. Yeah,
0: I would <laughs> And
1: I think that's interesting. My co-founder, he came from the space, just, he's an incredible cook. He's a guy that will open up the refrigerator, no recipe, just see it and then create it kind of uh, thing. And yeah. I was the opposite. I had to go through the journey of specific step-by-step recipe to create a mediocre dish. That's me. too, Exactly. But then over time, like now I'm that person who opens that's up nice. a fridge of my friend group and you know, grabs 15 things and creates a, a pretty good meal. So um, I kind of feel like, I guess the content journey that we hope our customer goes on is what I went through. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think it's a nice kind of barometer so, or North Star yeah. there, yeah.
0: So that's that means you do have the expertise then to answer potentially my next question is, do you have like one or two cooking tips for the beginner, mediocre dish person? Totally. <laughs> we learned it from Tom Click. So the, I think the cool part about our business is
1: we're, in the kitchen with the best chefs in the country. I mean, three Michelin star chefs, chefs yeah. that have worked all over the world and some of the best kitchens. And one eye-opening fact was that for the same process, a searing a, uh, a steak, two of the chefs, like they they don't follow the same theory. They mm. both have different theories. Tom Colicchio, uh, head judge of Top Chef. Okay. Um, you'd notice him, he's awesome guy, investor in us. He is a low and slow guy. Um, he will put a, steak on a burner and put it on low and let it sit there for 15 minutes to get the perfect sear. And, you know, I think that, you know, we walk into that room and we're like, I thought you had to blast the heat and crush the steak right, to get, yeah. to get a sear. And he's like, no, actually it's not the case. And especially for a home cook, this allows you home cooks are always behind the burners going, The haven't cut things, the baby's screaming, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> low and slow is actually better for the home cook because it allows them more time to get the other stuff mm. in order. Um, whereas you go into the Alinea kitchen, you know, it was number seven in the world at one time. um Grant Ackett's kind of like mastermind legend. chef legend, amazing chef's table. and he's a high, high heat, blast it, quick, hmm. move on, kind of guy. And so like same result, both tasted amazing, completely different methodologies. So I think the first answer to that is um, it's how you it's technique, but it's what technique fits you and how you like it. And there's no I'm doing this wrong. I don't know how to cook. Like, you know, you hear that a lot in the kitchen space. It's actually, no, like it's a million ways to skin a cat kind of thing. Nice. Um, and then I think technique and heating control is by far the thing we've we've learned the most. Like any issue you're having in the kitchen, your pans are burnt, uh, chicken is sticking to my stainless steel cookware is a heating issue. Um, most people will overheat their pan and then take something out of the fridge and throw it directly on the pan. Without letting it come to room temperature, and you have a super hot pan mixed with a super cold thing right out of the uh, fridge, and you've created kind of a catastrophe there, right? It's it's all about heating control. You can do forty minute steaks on a stovetop just using high heat to start and then turning it down to a simmer and leaving it. Like you, it's just all about heat control at the end of the day. Um, and we have a ton of content around that on our oh, site. Okay,
0: what should people so, Google to support
1: that? Um, I'd go to our either our blog or YouTube. Um and do uh, how to how to cook with stainless steel. Okay, and uh, he walks you through how to get the pan the correct temperature. Um, so I mean the TLDR of it is put your pan. If you have a high quality pan, put it on the burner, unload a medium, and let it come to uh, uh, let it come to temperature for about two minutes. Okay, the pan gets hot, three hundred to four hundred degrees, and then you put the oil in. The oil doesn't break down. If you put the oil in too early, the oil breaks down. Okay. It makes your pan a mess. If you put the oil in too late, it doesn't kind of um heat up correctly. And then you put your protein in your steak, chicken, and that's what to get okay. that nice sear. So
0: nice. Yeah, I have that exact problem, probably. <laughs> totally. And
1: it's like yeah. it takes you watching a video or reading a blog article yeah. once, and that single thing will make your steaks. Chickens, yeah, anything, vegetables nice. Those all are taste better.
0: Unique tips. I I thought I thought you were going to say put more salt on something. Right? Yeah, 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 salt along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Season it. I'm sure that's not a bad thing, but that's, totally. that's probably what everyone <laughs> yeah. says. that Those are good tips. Well, awesome, Chip. Yeah, everyone go check out the blog, subscribe yeah. to email newsletter, um, and buy some knives. We got some great products. Awesome. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Content and Conversation. Please leave us a review and like and subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. Thanks we